Well, thank you for participating wholeheartedly in that. It's nice to have everyone speaking a little bit other than myself. We've heard a lot of me today. Um, and I would love to hear any comments. Um, oh, you have the microphone, perfect. I was just like, where's Christina? Oh yeah, she's here. Um, so uh, just just to hear what that exercise was like and what came up for you, um, if you'd be willing to share on the group level. Don't be shy, please. Well, on the question that you asked us, I guess I'm more on the taking care of others. And you know, I've just been on this like whole thing of doing a lot of caring of others. Uh-huh. So then now I'm like, you know, taking care of myself. And it's just like maintaining that balance. Yeah. I have all these roles in my family. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like after I've done more than I need to, I'm all of a sudden this place of like You get like a resentment or yeah. You're resentful and angry. Yeah. And so then I go back and so it's like developing knowing ahead of time yeah. that I can, you know, have a better balance. Well it's very telling, right? Because here our intention is to be of service and to help others. And then we get angry with them as though, like, I mean, maybe they are making demands, I don't know. But, you know, sometimes it's like, wow, I volunteered for this. Or, and, it, and then it's kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe there's something out of balance, right? Yeah. And hopefully, as you say, to catch that before, before it gets to that point. You know, I think... We're so habituated to to just sort of like do the thing that we think we're supposed to do without sometimes really reflecting on whether it's what we need and whether, you know, if other people have needs, that is there a way that I can still take care of my own needs? And definitely, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, no doubt, you know, but uh, if we don't, reflect on it, if we don't bring mindfulness to it, then we just keep playing out the same roles, right? The same patterns. So, thank you. All right, give it to Marilyn. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting topic for me because I retired last year, so I'm just a year and change into my retirement. And I worked in healthcare for 40 years, so I was a professional caretaker. Yeah. Um, and I... I don't have kids, and I'm, I'm divorced a long time, so I've been just me myself at home. But just in terms of my career, and my, I was a lot of coming home just worn out from patients with this and that. No. So my life is very different now, and it's taken me quite a while to get used to what's just just having my own time. Yeah. That my time is a hundred percent. Line, in, in a sense, you know, not care, professional care, and it's just been very interesting because it's so different. Yeah. 
just really different. Even this morning when I was saying that, rushing through the morning, my morning sit, and I love what you said, and it just got me thinking that, well, yeah, the suffering is almost caused by my thinking. So I was just sharing with Maria, and I said, you know, I, for example, if for some reason I only have a short time to sit on a given day, instead of saying, oh, no, it's not good, I only have five hours, mm -hmm. I'll have to set the turner, I'll have to then just say, okay, today I'm going to have a short sit. Mm -hmm. You know, to just reframe yeah. things. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of that, it's a lot of new, just reframing my life, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good at taking care of myself, it's just that it's so different. I'm like yeah. just starting to settle into a new phase of my life. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, what comes up for me as I'm listening is, for one, is how it can be disorienting to ask yourself, what do I want? You know, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, I think a, a lot of our lives are so programmed. You know, go to school, get a job, or you get married, you have kids. It's just there's always something that you have to do. And to actually be in a place where, well, what do I want to do, you know, because I don't want to do nothing, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it can, it's like we lose touch with that part of us that can sense and what we want to do. Uh, one of the things that's helped me with that actually is James Barris's Awakening Joy course, you know, where he's kind of asking you to look at what really makes you happy what really inspires you. And again, kind of without thinking about obligations or, you know, social pressures, but kind of just what, what inspires me, what awakens my joy. Um, I mean, as silly as it will sound, when I took that course uh, about 10 years ago, I realized that I wanted to play golf. You know, it's kind of embarrassing because, you know, I'm an old white guy, so it's kind of like a cliche. Uh, you know, and I come from a background of privilege and I gave up a lot of my privilege, but it's not hard to get privilege back when you're, <laughs> turns out, you know. I, I don't belong to a country, I was raised belonging to a country club and playing golf and doing all kinds of sports, but I always kind of really liked golf. But when I became a hippie musician, you know, I gave all that up, partly for economic reasons and partly for actually like, you know, political reasons. Like, oh, that's, like, I'm, that's not who I want to be, identity reasons. But like at the age of 60, I was like, I really, I miss playing golf. And I, you know, I started doing that. And I, Believe me, if you have time on your hands, nothing uses up time like golf. <laughs> I mean, you know, get up, do your stretching, make your lunch, go to the golf course. By the time you come home, it's time for dinner. You know, so, and then you just turn on MSNBC and you've got the rest of your, your night taken care of, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it was funny, it's funny because the thing that I tapped into with that was I realized there was this real ex joy and excitement about it. 
that I had felt when I was a kid. And when I went back, I remember going to a golf course. At, well, the, a little of my history. The, the country club kicked me off the golf course when I was 16 because my hair was over my ears. This was 1966, right? So you couldn't, like, they were like, you can't go out on the golf course with your hair like that. You know, so that was part of the beginning of my rebellion. So, but I had this background fear when I went to the golf course at the age of 60, you know, that they weren't going to let me play, you know. <laughs> but I felt this, like, oh, I'm going to, and when I started playing, I was like, I'm getting to play. I felt like I was 12 years old. It was like, it's, and I still kind of get this excitement when I get to the golf course. I'm like impatient to get there and I'm impatient. To, and you wouldn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but there it is. It's just a thing. And it embarrass, as I say, it's kind of embarrassing to be uh, a golfer, especially given certain people that are in, you know, very prominent in our country right now who are associated with golf. But I go to public golf courses that are very diverse and inexpensive. So uh, if you get any ideas about... Anyway, you know, it, because it was like I did it because it was going to be fun, not because I, it definitely wasn't like something I thought was cool or like anything. It was just like, oh, this really, you know. So Awakening Joy, I recommend that course. I want to say one more thing that um, what I've been doing, or I mentioned it to you here, I know Derek was mentioning this to me, but um, um, I'm part of a song here called Awakening is a Spiritual Practice, and I feel like it has changed my life in terms of me because the majority of the aging, you mean the aging is a Okay, I thought you said awakening is a spiritual practice. We're, yeah, I know. We're old, you know, what can I say? We just. That it is part of awakening. Yes. Anyway, so because the majority of the group of us there are retired when it's I am, and it's just it's it's really helped me so much to wake to wake up. Yeah. And to give myself permission sometimes if I want to do nothing. Yeah. To say, wow, there really isn't anything I have to do, and yeah. I might be okay with that for an hour or two. <laughs> right. So there's so much, but. But yeah. Everything around the practice is helping. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. Christina's reaching for the. Okay. So I was in at the morning session, but I think one of the things you talked about. My name is Mike. And I hope you were taking care of yourself this morning. <laughs> I was working. Um, taking care of. That's I one way. I think one of the things that uh, taking care of oneself versus Right. <laughs> what you grew up in, like Darien or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, and as, 
So, the, so what I've had to sort of grapple with now as I see my children get older is the fact that did I take care of them, my family, mm. my spouse, for them or for me? Yeah. Sort of the, so it's intention. Yes. And, yes. I'm on the same path. I'm going to be like the Dalai Lama pretty soon, I think. You know. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, that's really the heart of this question. And it's interesting, you know, when I'm talking about right livelihood, I often talk about how what to me, really determines right livelihood is the intention, and that that's and I often use being a doctor as a as an example that we know doctors who are really compassionate and caring, and then we know some who we've had we don't feel like they're even treating us as individuals, and that that, that it doesn't seem like they're doing it out of caring. That it seems like they're doing it to for you know money or status. So. Yeah. And then there's this sort of people outside of that are in your circle shame of why I didn't get to be head of the department yeah. expected Yeah. You know, in fact they walk they said we don't need you anymore because you're over fifty and you are? Yeah, I am. That's I'm, that's tragic. And so it's all of a sudden it's like yeah. uh the new well yeah. care is now becoming very so so anyways, and it's the shame of I failed. Uh-huh. Great. That's, yeah, and, and that's, I mean, to me it's a gift because um, we do live our lives very often programmed to, to be something. And if, there's, if we never fail, then we never question what we're doing. We never question ourselves, we never question our role, and it's only when it's too late that we look back and said, say, why did I do this? In other words, what was my intention? Did I really want... What to, right, because it can evolve, that's right. And then all of a sudden your family is supporting you and saying, well, it's okay, and you're like, no, it's not. It's yeah. not okay that I, this happened. I'm like, of course it's okay. Yeah. Because you're like, well, so anyways. Well... No, uh, and, and what an opportunity, you know. That's the way I try to look at it. Yeah, you know, when I, the, I mean, uh, you know, I haven't had much of a career trajectory, but, you know, I did have a couple of kind of critical moments 
I mean, I mean, I wanted to be a musician, and I never could be really successful in that. And then, you know, after I got sober, I went back to school and sort of thought, oh, I'm going to do something more practical. And then I studied creative writing, you know. <laughs> but which uh, it became clear to me that you know I am who I am, right? And and I'm not going to become. I'm not going to get an MBA, you know. And but then, but I fell into the same trap of fame seeking, and and wrote a couple of novels. And when I finished graduate school, by then I thought I would have published a novel, and instead, I'd failed. And I, it took me a year to figure out just how I could make a living, and then I started working as a technical writer, which was really humbling for me. And it was this tremendous opportunity to just live like a simple life. Like I'd always been like on the road with bands or doing, I always thought I had a romantic life, but it was mostly just living in poverty with a guitar, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like, oh, this is how normal people live. And it's really not so bad. It's kind of nice. And then, you know, I was invited into this teacher training and I was like, oh, I'd like to do that because I'd been practicing for a long time. So there were these different moments and then this really critical moment, like about six years after that, I got laid off from a job and my wife, who's an English professor, said, why don't, while you're on unemployment, why don't you take this as a sabbatical to write the proposal for your Buddhism in the 12-step book that you've been talking about for a long time? So again, it was like a fit. It was like, oh, I'm out of work. You know, I've got a problem, right? And but like like you, I had a supportive family and someone who uh, who thought in terms of sabbaticals, which is you know, I had never thought in terms of sabbaticals. Musicians don't have sabbaticals, right? You know, you just get fired from the gig, you know, and uh, you know. So then that was just like it turned into this opportunity. And it was also discovering, oh, I wanted to be you know, a rock star or a novelist. The world wanted me to do this. You know, this is where the doors opened. And you know, one of the lessons you learn, right, is go through the doors that are open. You know, even if it's not like your number one thing, if it seems like a if it's a reasonably good thing, you know, go through that door. Don't be like, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, no, go ahead. And, um, you know, and that's why I'm sitting here. It's because I wrote that book, you know. I think a lot of the narrative that we think about ourselves, our own narrative, is, is sort of, it's not necessarily reality. Or <laughs> that's right, yes. Yeah. The story of our life. Yeah. You know, I, I remember saying to another Dharma practitioner one time, I failed at everything I've done, and that's been my greatest blessing. And she just looked at me like, what? Are you crazy? But I swear that, you know, you learn a lot more by failing than you do by succeeding. What do you learn from succeeding? Nothing. 
because you're just reveling in your success, right? In failure, you're like, oh, what did I do? How, how could I have done this better? And then you reflect on it. So, good luck. You'll be fine. Who else wanted to share? Well, there you go. God must want you to speak. There you go. So, um, it was a great conversation. The piece I would add was I was um, I was really struck by uh, something you said about sort of being on toddler time, and that that really struck me because in what is it your time? You know, when are you giving? When are you giving? And when are you being like codependent, which can be or whatever, which can mean a lot of different things. But essentially, it's kind of like your own agenda. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I thought a lot about. Um, I'm actually a grandmother now, and I the anecdote I told, and it's something I think about a lot. Is when I'm with my um, granddaughter, because uh, she's nearby, they're nearby, and so we babysit for her mom, we babysit. And like, if you're too 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 in change, if you do like one thing, you do it 800 times. You know, it's like over and over. And it's really interesting for me. I'm like watching myself. I'm like observing myself. Like if she'll take out like my wallet and put everything out <laughs> and, then, okay. and then put it back. It's like I somehow have the space or the just the whatever. Like I don't have an agenda about how long this is going to take mm-hmm. or whether it's going to happen a million times <laughs> in the future. I don't have that panic. But I remember being a young mother and having sort of like this panic, like, oh my God, like, when, when am I going to be able to live my life yeah. or whatever, you yeah. know, and as opposed to who is she going to be when she grows up? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, so there was so much projection often, it was more difficult to just be there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, there's this, those expansions and contractions of time that take place, and and because children are so consuming, infants and toddlers. I mean, I was, you, I don't, you might not have heard me say I'm staying with my niece who has a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And I mean, the excitement yesterday was the six-month-old rolled over, you know. <laughs> And I was like, and she's calling her husband, Mindy, come here, look, 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 look. Seamus rolled over. Come on, do it again, you know. And like this morning I saw Seamus was, was like trying to roll over, but she, he was on like one of those floor toy things that have like arms that come down from it. And he was like hitting into the arm. So he couldn't get there. He didn't realize that was why he wasn't getting over, you know. It was like this first. But yeah, these, and it's, I remember when my daughter was little and just thinking like, oh my God, when am I going to get my life back? <laughs> Even though, at the same time, I was more deeply in love than I'd ever been in my life. And that it was like the richest, and of course when it passes, you're like, this is why people have multiple kids. I want that back. You know, <laughs> I want to have that again, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's life, isn't it? You know? Don't know what you got till it's gone, or Joni Mitchell. And and yeah, 
even, and, uh, and I was a mindfulness practitioner, and I tried to be mindful. And I, and I, I was pretty mindful. I mean, I, I really enjoyed her, her infancy. I know a lot more than I would have at an earlier time in my life. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's intense to give yourself up. I mean, that's what you have to do, right? For a child, you just have to give yourself up, but it is temporary, and you have to keep reminding yourself of that. And then when, it, when you've only had one, one, when it's your first one, you don't realize, oh, right, in like three months, it's going to be completely different, you know? And you're like, is it going to be like this forever? <laughs> and then they're gone. You're like, what? Come back. Other, other people want to share or reflect on this? So nice to hear you guys talking now. I was just, this is not actually something that came out of our conversation, but I was thinking about, um, I have a very elderly cat right now mm-hmm. who, is, um, who is taking medication. And so uh, and I, I live alone with him, it's just the two of us. And so, so I, have, I have to give him this pill and he can take it. He likes to take it by himself. I wrap it up in like a little thing that tastes good. But every once in a while he gets finicky about it, he doesn't want Really, a cat getting finicky. Yeah. Mm, who knew? Yeah, yeah, right. So it's got to happen now. We showed this, and now I call it the pill meditation. Uh huh. So Very good. However long it takes. Yeah. Because I can always just grab them and give it to them, and they can take it. Right. But day in and day out. Because it just depends on his mood. Yeah. Sometimes he's fine, and he takes it like it's a treat. Yeah. And other times, and so you know, I'm not, I'm not working out of my own home right now. I don't have a million reasons to leave the house. So what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. So I've been spending these long, very tender periods with this wow. other, you know, member of another species. Yeah. Having this kind of amazing, and it, and it's. Uh, I thought of it now because we were talking about this, uh, you know, the caregiving versus for others versus. Yeah. And I often have my family is very Italian American and very very gendered, and the women do a lot more. Well, I can't say it out loud. The women do a lot more caretaking than men. No kidding, really. <laughs> and um, uh, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and there's <laughs> also so many more of them. There's only seven girls in over 150 years in this family. Wow. There's tons and tons of men. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, then I realized that this thing with this cat is actually a way of, I can't quite get the language for this, but <laughs> it is a way of taking care of myself by turning my caregiving of him into something that I'm uh, you know, paying really special attention to, yeah. allowing it yeah. to happen in a way that I'm not rushing, that yeah. I'm observing what's happening to me, and uh, of course, the next step is to try and do it in my relationship with humans. <laughs> <laughs> little by little, you know, don't, don't jet ahead of yourself. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. I love that, the, the cat medicine meditation, you know. It's, it's, it's great, yeah, just sort of saying, okay, this is gonna, let's see. And because it's really about checking in with yourself and maintaining your own equanimity, right? 
Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's a practice. It definitely is. It's very very wise, and and I love it. Like like that's really bringing creativity to your mindfulness practice. It's like like this can. How can I apply this in this situation and and turn it into a practice rather than like oh it's another thing I have to do. You know, that's great. Thank you. And I, and as for those guys, just tell them oh, get your own damn dinner. You know, <laughs> just that would be my advice. But I, I probably won't work. But you know, you, you could try it. That'll be like calling out. You know, for so uh, uh, let's take a little break. We've been going for a while here, and I, probably everybody needs a little break. So. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.